Okay, if you would take your Bible and turn to 1 John and 2nd chapter, chapter 2. First John chapter two. <clears throat> and I'm going to start reading at verse 24, and I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter. First John chapter two and verse 24. "Let that therefore abide in you, which ye heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. You need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear... We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So the title of the message this morning is The Promise of His Preservation. The Promise of His Preservation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open thy word, the living word of God. Preserve for us through the ages of time, translated in our own language so we can understand. I pray that as we look into the Word of God today, that we'd give attention to the words of the living God, that we might be encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in our walk with you. Lord, there be any in our midst and our hearing who have never been born again, do not have the indwelling Spirit of God abiding uh, in, in their person, I pray that the Spirit of God will work in their hearts and bring conviction of their sin, their need of Him, and their need of repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before Jesus went to the cross and died, leaving His disciples for a time, He gave them a promise of the Comforter that would come to them and abide, or that is, remain with them forever. John 14, 18, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. That word comfortless really means fatherless. Or it means to be orphaned. In other words, the Lord is saying, I'm not going to leave you without someone to oversee, to act as a guardian, if you will. That's what a father is. He's like a guardian to, to, to care for you and provide for you. John 14, 6, I said, I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Forever. John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. In verse 24, he says, Let that therefore abide in you. That phrase means to dwell as it were within him, uh, to be continually operative in him by divine influence and energy. You know, Christians are said to be rooted, as it were, in him, knit to him. And we talked a little bit the other Thursday night about how 
the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. In other words, he was submitted and surrendered to Jonathan. He was consumed with fulfilling the will of David. And so, the Spirit of God is knit to us. We are knit to the Lord, that is, by the Spirit of God, which we have received from Him. So, you know, it, it really means that one is said to be in Christ or in God, or Christ is also in us and God is in us, in one. So, it, it's, it's something that has been established permanently within the soul. And the Spirit of God always, if we are saved, the Spirit of God is a permanent fixture in our soul. He always exerts His power in us. So the idea here is of a continual presence. In fact, look at John. In John chapter 15, Jesus spoke extensively concerning this idea of this continual presence. And He uses the word abide quite often in this passage. In John 15... In verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. So, you know, just as a branch is fastened or to the tree, it gets its life, its source of life, comes from the trunk of the tree. And he says, So you must abide in me, just like a branch does in a tree. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. And he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can't do nothing. You cut a branch off from the trunk of the tree, and it's going to be—it's lifeless. It has no—it will never bear fruit. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. Men gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burnt. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain, or that is, abide in you, and that your joy might be full. So God has promised us that when we receive Christ as the Lord and Savior, of course, we are given the promise of eternal life, and the Spirit of God, which is a continual presence in our life, uh, to preserve us in Him. So as we consider this morning, I want to notice three things, and as a few sub-points. First of all, the promise of eternal life. In verse 25 of 1 John 2, it says this, And this is the promise that He hath promised, even eternal life. You know, a promise is an announcement, it's information, it's a pledge it's a, a divine assurance of good. So here's the assuring promise that he has promised us. That is eternal life. That's a promise he has given us. Uh, in 1, John, or 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, he says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is. So, so godliness profits the life that now is, and of that which is to come, that is eternal life. So this is the God's promise of, the, of that which is to come. So he's promised us this eternal life has to do with life now and that which is to come. It is eternal. It is forever. In 2 Timothy 1, in verse 1, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, 
which is in Christ Jesus. So this life, this promise of life, is in Christ Jesus. It's not in ourselves, it's in Christ Jesus. In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and acknowledging the truth of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So God promises us eternal life through Jesus Christ, and it was a promise he gave before the world began, and God cannot lie. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You know, God is eternal. He has neither beginning nor ending, or, or in, no beginning of, nor be, and he has not beginning of life nor end of life. And so that life we have in Christ is the life of God. Therefore, it is eternal. It has no ending. Amen? And so we have this promise of eternal life. John reminds us that this is the promise that he has promised us. The secondly, we, we also see in this passage the persistent effort of seduction of our adversary. You know, though we have this promise of eternal life, there's a, we have an adversary who is very persistent and he wants to seduce you. He wants to seduce you. If you notice in verse 26... These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Now, that kind of really takes in the couple preceding, the preceding message from verses 18 through 23 there, talking about they, they went out from us because they were not of us. And so, you know, there are those that will try to seduce you. That word seduce means to lead away from the truth, to lead into error, to deceive. And, you know, this was... You know, this is very common in our world today. It's very prevalent, and there is much seduction. And even as there was, there was those, even very early on, you, you would think that Christianity or the, the gospel kind of being a, a new thing, there wouldn't be all this seduction right away. But there was. There's always those that, that twist the truth. You know, 2 Timothy 3.13 says, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In John's day, Gnosticism was popular then. You know, Gnosticism has this idea of knowledge and that, that things are, uh, that, you know, that you separate the spiritual from the natural and, and, everything, and, and everything is just, uh, just a, uh, a figment of your imagination kind of thing that Jesus was not a real person he was you know he resurrected he was just a ghost and and he wasn't bodily resurrected and so on and so forth and and that was one of the things that that was popular back then and even as it is today and, and of course they had Judaism with its reliance on the temple and the customs of Moses and circumcision and and all that so there was much deception and, and these guys followed Paul around and, and attempted to lead astray the disciples of the Lord You know, we can also be self-deceived. In John, 1 John here in chapter 1, verse 8, says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know, there, there's so much out there in the world that can deceive you. Easily, we can easily be led astray if we aren't careful. And we, and we, can, be self, we can deceive ourselves. We, we have this adversary that goes around and, 
with his wiles and, and attempting to deceive us. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be diligent. You need to be on guard. You need to be serious about this and, and serious and consider these things and be vigilant, be on guard, just like, you know, you're, you're ready for any, uh, 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 you know, any, anybody that would cause trouble or, or, or try to, in, uh, 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 invade your home or that kind of thing. You need to be on guard. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, there, there are many deceptions in our day amongst those who call themselves God's people. Let me give you a few. Number one, that our sin is not so bad. You know, there's a lot of people that think, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. What does Romans chapter 3 tell us? Do you ever really seriously consider that? As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all going out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of apse is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are on the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God." You know, this is a pretty graphic picture. He says, there's none righteous, there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh, there's none profitable, there's none that doeth good in his sight. They are all guilty, they're all deserving of death and damnation. Not real positive, is it? But it is truth. But you know, there's a lot of people in churches to say, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I mean, I'm not really that bad. Well, God says there's none. There's none. You know, this is, this is particularly popular with people who grow up in a good Christian family and never really delved into the depths of sin. And we can easily think, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm not. I'm not this vile, wicked sinner you were if you you would be if you wouldn't have been trained. You know, a lot of people that are moral because they had moral upbringing. If they wouldn't have had that moral upbringing, they'd be wicked and vile just like anyone else. Second thing, the deception of our day is that our works will make us acceptable. That because we serve the Lord, we serve Him with all of our might and sacrifice to serve Him, we will be acceptable before Him and thereby justified. Be declared righteous because our works make us acceptable. You know, this is a lie. Of the devil, for our 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 sinful person can only be justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not by the works of the law. You know, we can only be justified 
by the blood of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, Ephesians 1, in verses 5 through 7, the Bible says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted. Let me read that again. He hath made us accepted in the beloved. Has nothing to do with my works. Nothing. Being accepted by God is, is, has nothing to do with my works. It has to do with what Jesus Christ did for me. Verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the, rate, the riches of his grace. That's what Paul meant in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 when he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, by my great faith in the Son of God. No, he didn't say that. By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's the faithfulness. It was the faithfulness of, of, of Christ uh, to the Father, being, being put to death, being obedient unto death, and resurrected new life by the power of God that saves me from sin. It has nothing to do with anything that I do or don't do. It is trusting in it is my trusting in his work of faith for me. Look at Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 24. Hebrews 10, 19 through 24. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he, that is Jesus, hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, through his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without waving, for he is faithful that promise. Let us consider unto one another to provoke unto love and good works. See, he is faithful. You know, it's, we, are, we are saved... By the blood of Jesus Christ, by the work of Christ, not by our own works. How often do you hear somebody say, you ask them if they are born again or prepared for life everlasting, and they, they, they start giving you a list of things that they do. What they're asking is God to bless them or to provide eternal life based upon the things that they do. Now, we're not saved by the things that we do. Now, we are saved unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. We, as if we are God's child, we should serve Him. We ought to do, maintain good works. The Bible teaches that very clearly, but we're not saved by those. We're not saved by those. A third deception is, oh, I can just receive Jesus as Savior without the Lord part. Without the Lord part. That makes him sort of like a good luck charm. 
you know, so, so many times some people will come and they want help. They're in trouble and they want help. They want help out of their trouble. They really don't want the Lord. They don't want the Lord. They want someone to fall back on in a crisis, but not someone to surrender to and serve and have a continual relationship. You know, his church, they view the church as something to benefit me and not a place where I serve. Therefore, if it is not a benefit to me, I quit going. Not that the attitude of many. They have a Jesus that is a false Christ. It's another Jesus. You know, today we want a Jesus that we make up. We want a church that is what I want, that gives me what I want, the entertainment that I like, that satisfies my emotional need, wants, that makes me happy, that gives me social, social fulfillment. Now, you can find social interaction in the church. All those things can be true. But this really makes Christianity just like the religions and cults of the world and therefore of no consequence. It's just another rabbit's foot to carry around in your pocket and give you good luck. It's a false gospel and a false Jesus without any expectations of surrender and service. You know, the early churches were persecuted churches. They were sacrificing churches, often fleeing for their lives, giving their lives to witness of the gospel of Christ. And Paul warned them that there would be another, that, that even in like the churches of Galatia, in Galatians chapter 1, he warned them concerning another Jesus. In Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, he says, I marvel you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. There be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach only the gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. As I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And of course, in our text, in 1 John, John had warned us about the Antichrist, that denies the Father and the Son, that denies the deity or the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have to beware that we don't deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. The idea that he is Lord has the idea of we're servants. We're serve him. You know, Peter told the Jews in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ. Now, the Jews had no problem with Jesus. The problem they had was the Christ part. The Messiah part. That he was, that, that's what Christ means. It means Messiah. The anointed of God. So they had no problem with the man, Jesus. What they had problems with is that he said, I and my father are one. He said that I am he. I am the Messiah. That's what they had a problem with. A lot of the world believes in Jesus. That's popular, to believe in Jesus. 
What about the Lord part? What about the Christ part? See, with that comes expectations. Surrender and service. When Philip was preaching to the eunuch, the the eunuch asked, what doth hinder me but baptize? And he said, I believe that Jesus that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you just have a Jesus and no Lord, you don't have the Jesus of the Bible. You have a false Jesus. Joel Osteen talks much about Jesus. But he doesn't mention Christ or Lord. As do many. See, the Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus that saves from sin. He is the Lord. In Acts 10.36, Peter preaching to the Cornelius and those that were gathered where there said this of him, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel preaching, pre- preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He's the Lord of all. Acts 17, 24, Paul at Athens says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. No, it's not just Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourthly, fourth deception that we hear a lot today, if you receive Jesus, everything in your life will be better. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And it's very attractive. You will have everything you need. All your troubles will go away. God will enrich you by you committing to his prompts. You will not have the struggles with sin that you had before. Is any of that true? No, it's not. But if you listen to the typical TV evangelist long enough, they will tell you it is true. But the Bible says differently. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 1.6 says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. There were those that troubled the Thessalonians. They troubled them. In Galatians chapter 5, in verses 16 and 17, Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says this, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, I don't know if you find out or not, but I find out that my flesh fights against, doesn't always want to do what is pleasing to God. There's a struggle there. And I have to deny the flesh. I have to subdue the flesh and submit to the Spirit. If I want to walk in the Spirit. There's a struggle. By the way, that struggle is evidence that you are a child of God. 
I mean, the devil doesn't harass his own children. But he sure will harass you if you're a child of God. You see, the key here is to walk in the Spirit, and that walking in the Spirit requires a daily denial of self-will. I have to deny the will, my own will if I'm going to walk in the Spirit. It requires a daily diet of the bread of life to feed my soul and my spirit, the Word of the living God. It requires a daily communication with the Lord through prayer who by these will direct you in His will and give you confidence and victory walking in Him, allowing Him to lead you. You know, just because a person's got saved doesn't mean life is going to be easier. We have an adversary that desires to sift you as wheat, to lead you astray into error and destroy you. That's what he desires. But thank God, thank God, he has given us the preservation. This is the third thing, the preservation of the Spirit of God within. Notice verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but it's the same anointing teach you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. See, we have the Spirit of God. So we have the anointing of God. That word anointing has the idea of uh, something, an ointment smeared on. It, it was usually prepared by the Hebrews, the Jews, from oil and uh, aromatic, you know, sweet-smelling herbs. Uh, the anointing was a, the inaugural ceremony for priests, kings, sometimes also prophets. And by it, they were regarded as endued with the Holy Spirit and divine gifts. For example, in Exodus chapter 30, Verse 25, it says, Thou shalt make an, holy, an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. And then verse 30 says, And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. So that word consecrate means they're set apart. So they were anointed with his oil, and they were set apart for the priest's office, to serve the Lord in the priest's office. And so that anointing, it's like that. Uh, in 1 Samuel 16, 13, Then Samuel took a horn of oil, anointed him, that is David, in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So again, it was, it was anointed, and it set one apart. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. As you think about that for a little bit, look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, 1 Peter 2, 9, Ye are a chosen generation. So God has chosen you. He's talking, Peter's talking here to the, to the believers. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So there's royalty, that's kings, and priesthood, that, that's, that's the priest of God, that go before God, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that's a, that speaks of, of a purchased possession, a particular purchased possession, doesn't mean you're weird. Peculiar here doesn't mean weird. It means something that's purchased, something that's special, that ye should show forth the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God has given you this anointing. He's, he's chosen you. He's, he's made you royalty and anointed you with, with royalty, with priesthood, uh, with, with your, your purchase, your something special. And, 
and you know, Revelation speaks to this also. Revelation chapter one and <coughs> excuse me, and verse six. Revelation one verse six says this, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So through, through, through Christ, we have been made kings and priests. We've been anointed, if you will, or preserved or chosen for that uh, particular uh, uh, that participation. In chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 10, again, it says, And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, it's not just a figment of your imagination that we've made kings and priests. Because he says, we're gonna have, we have a job to do. We shall reign as kings and priests. So we've received this anointing of the Spirit of God. This sealing, if you will. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted, speaking about Christ, first trusted in Christ, that's the end of verse 12. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So you, they heard the word of God and they received Christ as the Lord and Savior. And it says, in whom also after that you believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchase of possession under the praise of His glory. So the sealing or this anointing has been given to us. It's been, and notice several things about it. It was sent to us by the Father. Notice in 1 John 2 and verse 27 it says, But the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you. Which ye have received of Him. In John 14, 26, Jesus said to the disciples, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. So the, the Heavenly Father, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Heavenly Father seals you or anoints you or preserves you with the Spirit of God. You're preserved. You're sealed. In fact, the Bible says that He abides in us. Verse 27 again says, The anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. That word abideth means he remains. His presence is continual unto redemption of the purchased possession. That's what we read in first, or Ephesians 1.14. You know, it's the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of the glory. In other words, until we go to be with the Lord, the Spirit of God is going to remain in us. He will not be taken from us. And the third thing we see about him, he is the anointing sent by the Father. He abides in us. He is also truth. He is truth. Verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the name, same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in Now, He is truth. Spirit of God is truth. 
He's going to teach us truth. You know, there are, there are those in the world, we have this adversary that attempts, going to attempt to seduce you or lead you into error or lead you into sin. But you have the, if you are saved, you have the Spirit of God dwelling within and He's going to guide you through the Word of God into the truth. Walk in the Spirit, and you should not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, Galatians 5.16 says. You see, He's going he's to teach us truth whereby we will maintain our fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Because He, He is the Spirit of God, He leads us into truth. Notice verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. So, so He leads us in the truth so that we will have confidence at His coming. Imagine all of you have had experiences in your childhood days whereby you, you maybe you're dead, where Parents were not home, and you did something that you knew you were in trouble with. And you really weren't looking forward to them coming home. Why? Because you were ashamed. You were guilty. You had disobeyed. But, you know, I'm sure there were other days where you, they maybe gave you some chores to do and you did everything that they said and, 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 you know, there was nothing that you did that you, you, were, you were certain there was nothing you did that was wrong. You, 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 you walked in their commandments. And you were looked forward to them coming home. Why? Because you had nothing to be ashamed of. You see, the Spirit of God abides in us and He teaches us the truth, gives us understanding into the truth of the Word of God so that when the Lord returns for us, we can have confidence and not be ashamed. And not only that, we can walk daily in confidence and not be ashamed. Because we keep his commandments. John 16, 13, 14 says, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, he shall receive of mine, shall show it unto you. So, so this, the Spirit of God the, preserves us in Christ. And gives us confidence and assurance. He abides in us. He teaches us the truth by the word of God. You know, he leads us according to the word of God. You know, the bread of life. So, and gives us understanding into the truth. So that when the Lord appears, and that we can walk in confidence with him daily. And that when he appears, we will not be ashamed. We can be confident. That we can enjoy our relationship with the Lord. 
You know, it's interesting. John uses that phrase again in verse 28. Little children. Little children. It's like he's saying, my children, my family, beware. There's those who will attempt to lead you astray. There are those who attempt to seduce you. But walk in the Spirit. You've been given the Spirit of God. He abides with you. Yield to Him. Obey Him. Seek Him to understand the truths of the Word of God and apply it to life. Allow Him to lead you in the will of your Lord and you will walk in confidence and in righteousness. And enjoy. You know, this is the purpose of his writing this book. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Jesus told them that in John chapter 15, you remember? If you abide in me, that your joy may be full. You see, if we continually cultivate our relationship with the Lord, spending time with Him and His Word, seeking guidance from the Spirit of God that dwells within, giving us insight, into applying the Word of God to daily life. Walking in the Spirit. Being surrendered to His will. Allowing Him to lead us. We will have confidence. We will live righteous. If you notice, verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. There's a, there's a walk. That's, that's expected of God's children. We ought to walk in righteousness. Again, that doesn't mean you're never going to struggle. It's a continual struggle. The flesh against the Spirit. Well, we must subdue the flesh. And allow the Spirit of God, that anointing, which has been given to us by the Father, in the place of the Son, since He's gone back to heaven. You know, God, aren't you glad God hasn't left you an orphan? He's not left you without guidance. He's given you His Word. He's given you His Spirit. He's given you His church. And the Spirit of God uses those things, the Word and His church, to direct, to teach us, to instruct us, that we might enjoy our walk with the Lord. That we might have that continuing fellowship with the Lord. That we might be daily empowered by the Spirit of God through His Word. The question is, are you enjoying His presence in your life? Are you yielding to Him? Are you allowing Him to direct your thoughts, your actions, that you might be found appear before Him confidently 
when he comes.